Okay, guys, uh, I'll go ahead and have you grab your seats, and I'm going to invite Jay Filson to come up. Jay is our reader this morning. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah 11. We're going to be in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And if you don't have your Bible, uh, we have some out on the table. You can always grab one to take home with you. I would encourage you to have one of those. Uh, and then we'll also have it up on the screen so that you can follow along up here. So take it away, Jay. Thank you, Brant. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We believe uh, your promise that you desire to speak with us this morning through your Holy Spirit. We trust you to do that. Lord, pray that you would uh, forgive me my sins. Lord, that you would give me the courage to speak your word boldly this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'll let you guys know at the end of this, at the end of our time this morning, we're going to take communion. And so if you uh, miss these little communion lunchables on your way in. Uh, they're on the table in the back. You can go and sneak out and grab one real fast uh, so you have one for, for communion as it comes up. Uh, so this morning, uh, what I'm praying and what I've been praying this week is that uh, we've got to get a bigger sign, I think, is what I'm taking away from this right now. Okay. <laughs> we'll make sure we let you know in a bigger way that communion is happening uh, next time we do this. Uh, what I've been praying this week is that this morning, that the Lord would shatter the false peace that so often pervades our life. That what would happen this morning is that Jesus would break, would shatter the false peace that so often pervades your life and my life so that we can take hold of the real peace that is offered to us in the gospel so that we can live as people of peace, as peacemakers uh, in our world. In many ways, the work of a prophet, the work of Isaiah the prophet, right, because we're, we're going to be in Isaiah throughout all of Advent through this time of waiting for Christmas, the work of a prophet in the Old Testament was to shatter the false peace that had settled on God's people. 
What was true about the nation of Israel at this time is that things, for the most part, seemed to be going well. Yes, the kingdom had been divided kind of into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, but, but things seemed to be going okay. Things were fairly prosperous. People were doing fairly well. War seemed far off as much as war ever seemed far off to people living in the ancient Near East. People were going about their religious duties, kind of checking the box. The temple was running. They were offering sacrifices. Yeah, maybe they were bowing down to idols in their spare time or whatever, right? But they were still doing the things they were supposed to be doing. And so there is this sense, too, of, of, well, we're God's people. We belong to God, and so nothing bad will ever happen to us. They're very secure kind of in the way that things were going. And the work of the prophets, the work of Isaiah, was to come in and, in a sense, slap them verbally, you know, and to say, all is not well. The work of a prophet was to pull back the covers. That's what Isaiah was doing. And he was saying, look, there is all kinds of sin and corruption and injustice that's happening all over the place. So you cannot just rest secure in the fact that the temple is here and believe that God is always going to bless you. There are some things that need to be dealt with. That was what Isaiah was doing. He was getting the people's attention. And he did it in a few different ways. One of the ways he got their attention, one of the ways he shattered their false peace was telling them about the kingdom that was coming. Because as the people heard about the kingdom that was coming, what they would see is that the kingdom that they were living in was not that kingdom. There's a gap that opens up there. And that's the same thing for us as we look at these, at these uh, promises for the kingdom that God will bring when he reunites heaven and earth. When we look at what that kingdom will be like, what it exposes to us is that the world is not as, uh, as uh, peaceful as we make it out to be. So let's talk about this promise that God has that's of this ideal kingdom that is coming. Isaiah says, the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. That's a picture of a restored creation. Of a peace that is so pervasive that the world itself becomes almost unrecognizable in the way that we know it. That the relationship even between predators and prey will be changed. And that's kind of, I think that's hard for us to like grasp the, the enormity of that because of uh, how infrequently we interact with this predator-prey relationship. I don't think there are many times where we go out and see that happening out in our world. Like, for example, uh, I was rec recently watching a kid's nature show with my kids. I wasn't just watching it for myself. It's called The Wild Kratz. Uh, some of you know, okay. Uh, in this show, there's a, uh, there's a, in this episode, there's a cheetah that chases this antelope. And when the cheetah catches the antelope, it pounces on the antelope and then it just stays there. And then the antelope gets up and walks away. Um, that's not what happens, right? When a cheetah catches an antelope, it bites its throat, it kills it, and it eats it. It's violent. We don't show that to our children. 
we're trying to protect them from something. What we're acknowledging, even in the way that episode is animated, is that the world out there is a violent place. It's filled with enmity. And the fact that we want to protect our children from it tells us that there's something about it that is not the way that it should be. In fact, uh, what we know about our world is we talk a lot about the law of survival of the fittest. That it is the violence and enmity that exists between creation that drives creation forward in some way. And what Isaiah is telling us is that that law will be undone. And the law that governs uh, our relationship with creation, creation's relationship with itself, will be replaced with something totally different, will be replaced with peace. Isaiah tells us the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. I don't think we have to have a lot of experience to know that that's not the way that we experience the world, right? That if my nursing child was playing over the hole of a cobra, I would be terrified. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. That all threats of, of, of violence will be removed. But there will be no fear of what could happen out in the world. There'll be no suspicion, no preparing for those things because they won't exist anymore. Like, think about all the time that we spend managing our lives knowing the risks that are out in the world. Like, I, we won't have to set our alarms before we go to bed at night. Think of the minutes you're going to get back in your day, right? No more going to the doctor. Some of you are doctors, so thankful. Uh, you'll be out of a job in the new heavens and new earth. We'll find you a new vocation, right? We won't have to worry about that anymore. No more vitamins, no more medicine, none of that. Think about all of the time and energy that we spend as individual people, that we spend as a culture and a society guarding ourselves and dealing with risk and the way that the risk enters into our lives. That won't happen anymore. We'll be free of all of those things. That what Isaiah is talking about here is the biblical picture of shalom is the word for it. And this word, for, this word shalom, it's so much more than the absence of conflict. It's the world complete and whole. When we read about snakes in the Bible, it's always a clue. It always points us back to the Garden of Eden. So when Isaiah tells us that kids will play with cobras, he's telling us a lot more than that there won't be any threats anymore, what he's saying is the very curse that has pervaded all of creation ever since the fall of man, that curse will be undone. That is the world that we are looking forward to as God's people. And when we hold up that picture, what it tells us is that our world as it exists right now is messed up. Because as much as we can talk about uh, the relationship between predator and prey being resolved, what we know and do experience on a regular basis is the enmity that exists between people, right? That we've all experienced broken relationships, the pain that comes because of that, the pain that's in our world as people are suspicious of each other, as they hate each other, as violence creeps out in our world. 
And what Isaiah is tuning our hearts to is that there will be a day when that is undone, when that is set right. But as we look at those two pictures, what the world will be and what the world is now, that gap and what it creates in us is a longing, and that longing is painful, isn't it? When we acknowledge that the world is not as it should be, And that what often happens to us in the midst of that longing and the gap between the world as it will be and the world as it is right now is that uh, it's hard to hold both of those things in, in tension with each other. And so we declare, we create a false peace. That we can trick ourselves into believing. We'll lie to ourselves into believing that everything is it's, it's actually fine. Don't worry, everything is fine. Eugene Peterson in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, he says it like this. He says, we've been told the lie ever since we can remember. Human beings are basically nice and good. Everyone is born equal and innocent and self-sufficient. The world is, pleasant, is a pleasant, harmless place. We are born free, and if we are in chains now, it is someone's fault, and we can correct it with just a little more intelligence or effort or time. That's a false peace. It's the false peace that we so easily live in. It's like, um, imagine, uh, have you ever been on a road trip? Okay, a few of us are awake this morning. I'm assuming most of us have. Like, have you ever been on a road trip? Yes, okay, there we go. Uh, you're on a road trip, right? And you are longing for home. Like, oh, I just want to be home, and I just want to sleep in my own bed. Right? I just want to, like, smell my house smell, because you smell it when you first come in after a long road trip, right? Or I don't know if you're like this... Uh, our goal is always to leave our house clean so when we come back to it, you're like, oh, I long to be back in my house when everything is in the right place because it will never happen again. But it happens when I get back from vacation. So you're on this road trip, right? Imagine you're desiring to get home. But then when you're on the way home from a road trip, have you ever hit traffic? Oh, yes, it's brutal. Like when you're coming, you're driving through Chattanooga and coming down the mountain, right? Or you have to drive through Atlanta anytime. Growing up in California, for me, it was always where the 405 and the 5 come together. Oh, yeah, it's traffic so bad. Anyway, you know what it's like, right? To, to desire to be home and to have that desire to be home interrupted, it makes the longing so much worse. Oh, I just want to be home. And what we often do, right, in making a false peace, it's as if we say to ourselves on the road trip, oh, it's too painful to wait for home, so I'm just going to set up camp on the side of the road. Forget home. We'll just make a home right here. When I'm in stop and go traffic, we'll just stop, pull over, and set up camp. This is author Tish Warren. That's kind of how she explains what it's like for us when we create this false peace in our lives. And let's be honest, uh, we, we live pretty comfortable lives, don't we? When we pull over to the side of the road to set up our campsite, it's kind of like glamping. It's nice. We get very used to the comfortable lives that we lead, but friends, it's not home. That what Isaiah is doing in this passage is he's waking us up. He's saying, you have made a false peace with this world. This is not the way it's supposed to be. What he tells us in this passage is that true peace, though, 
this true peace that we long for, once we've realized, oh, this is not the way it's supposed to be, when we become unsettled, when we've acknowledged our longing, he says, yes, and that peace that you long for, it can only be brought to you by an ideal king. He says, let me tell you about the king who's coming who's gonna bring this peace. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That what Isaiah is saying is that this king who's coming, the king who's gonna come and bring this peace to us is a king who is gonna have first and foremost in front of his eyes, not his own glory. That what this king is looking to is, is covered by the fear of the Lord. He's looking to God to lead him and guide him. He's not consumed with himself. What would it be like to be led by a leader like that, huh? This is a king who is full of wisdom and understanding, who is able to see the problems of the world and judge them accurately. When we talk about the problems we want to get fixed in our world, we want to see resolved, we can't even all agree on what the problem is. This king, this king knows that he has the understanding to see all of the complexities of the human life and problem and experience, and, and he not only has the, the wisdom to see it, but the knowledge to know how those things can be resolved. That's the kind of king we're talking about here. And he has more than the ability to see the problem, to understand what the solution is. He actually has the might to carry it out, the power to put that plan into action. That is the ideal king that we see here. And what this king tells us, what this king has revealed through his life and through his ministry, through the words of scripture, because this king is Jesus, just for the record, okay? What this king has revealed to us is that we are the problem. That we have rebelled against God. That all the way back at the beginning of the world, that what we said to God was, we do not want you to be king. We will not let you be king over us. And ever since then, we as people have been fighting for ourselves to be king. And somehow, it is that rebellion that has caused all of the chaos and violence and enmity that exists in the world, not only between people, but even out in creation. that we want the kingdom without the king. And I will tell you, friends, that is a project that is always doomed to fail, the kingdom without the king. Like back in 1928, for example, uh, there was this thing called the Kellogg-Briand Pact, if you remember your, your European history, okay? This was uh, an agreement where, the, where the, all the countries of the world got together and said, here's, you know, here's what we're gonna do. We want a world that is characterized by peace, so here's what we'll do. We will just outlaw war. What a great idea. And in some sense, yes, right? Like, what if we all just said, you know what, we will just resolve our problems in a different way. We just won't have war anymore. Okay, so that was 1928. A few years later, uh, people are breaking that pact, right? World War II. 
But all of our efforts to say as a people, no, we want the kingdom, but without the king, no, we will make it happen. We will bring it about ourselves. They are doomed to failure because what they fail to address is the fact that we are the problem, that the rebellion, the war lives in our own hearts. It's called sin. And the prophets, they point that out. This is what Isaiah says in chapter, chapter one. He says, ah, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. So Isaiah is speaking to a people who say, you know, things are pretty good. We got to figure it out. We're checking our religious boxes. And what he says to them is, no, you are a people who are utterly estranged. Prophets are great with kind of like in, intense, flowery, metaphorical language. Isaiah says this, how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless. The widow's cause does not come to them. He's waking the people up. The rebellion is in you. He says it like this in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But that's us. That as much as we want the kingdom without the king, what is true is that for us to experience peace, we need the king to come. And the good news for us, what we remember at Christmas, is that this king has already come once. That when we look back on Jesus' ministry, we see that all of these promises characterize him that the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. But he had always in front of him the goal of glorifying and loving his heavenly Father. But he did that perfectly. But he set down his own interests and looked to the interests of others. That he was full of a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, that he saw straight to the heart of people that he always knew what ailed them. That's true. He knew that about us as people, but he also knew that about individual people. And you can see it in the ways that he interacts with people so gently, drawing out their stories and meeting them with healing right where they are. That's our Jesus. But just like us, people said to Jesus, yeah, we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. What Isaiah tells us is that there will be a time when this ideal king comes back to earth and he sets things right with the rod of his mouth that by the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. What happened to Jesus the first time that he was on earth is that he submitted to that rod himself. That rather than it coming out of his mouth toward others, he was, he was struck that the rod of God's wrath fell not on his enemies but it was his enemies that hit him with the rod of God's wrath.
And this is what Colossians 1 tells us. It says Jesus, he said, Colossians tells us, Paul tells us in Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is before all things. All things hold together in him. He is this ideal king is what Paul is saying. And then he says this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. that when Jesus himself was struck with the rod of God's wrath, that what he was doing very intentionally was making peace between you and God. Making peace between his people and God. And Paul goes on to say, and you, that means you, it means me, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What that means is that through Jesus, it is possible for us now to have peace with God. But that ultimate rebellion that resides in our hearts that has been dealt with all we like sheep have gone astray. Yes, and Isaiah tells us what will happen is the Lord will lay on him the iniquity of us all. That Jesus has borne on himself all that separated us from God so that what we could experience with God through Jesus was this restored and reconciled relationship, a relationship of peace. And friends, that is a peace that you can do nothing to alter that if you are in Christ, there is nothing you can do to alter that peace. And that is the hardest thing for us to believe, that what we are always living under is this sense that because of what I've done, because of what I've said, because of how I've acted, that suddenly now there's a gap in my relationship with God and that there is not peace anymore. And we can even live so much of our Christian lives wondering, how do I get that peace back? Jesus, what do I have to do to you to restore that relationship to make things okay? that we walk around with this vague sense that God is not pleased with me. Friends, that is not true. That there is nothing that you can do to alter the peace that Jesus has achieved between you and the Father. Nothing. And so often we reduce that to kind of a Fiji water kind of spirituality, you know? Like, oh, if I just, what that means, I just, I, as a Christian, I should always feel calm and tranquil, you know? Like water from an artesian spring. You know those commercials? And when something happens in our life and it upsets that, it makes us think something is wrong. Something is wrong with my relationship with God. Guys, just read the Bible, okay? It covers the heights and the depths of the human experience. Look at the Psalms. The psalmists cry out in joy before God and they come to, to God and they say, where are you? In the midst of my pain, in the midst of my anger, in the midst of my sadness, where are you, God? 
So the promise that we have peace with God, it doesn't eliminate the highs or the lows. It promises us that in the highs and in the lows, God is always with us. That he's made peace. A peace that cannot be changed. Just go back with me for a minute to our road trip analogy, okay? Like, have you ever been on a road trip, but when, at the end of the road trip is not your empty home, but like is a home filled with people? Have you ever been on a trip like that? Right? Yes. Okay, one person. Yes. That when we read these promises in Isaiah, uh, we can think that the, the thing that we're hoping most in is a world that has been restored to peace. That is a part of our hope. Our hope is so much greater than that because at the end of this road trip, or pilgrimage, or our wandering as we wait for our home to come. At the end of that is our Heavenly Father who loves us. Who, when we pull up in our car, is running out to greet us. Who wraps us in his arms and says, I'm so glad you're home. Who will say to us, I'm so proud of you. that our Jesus will be there to meet us. Do you know that even now, your Jesus longs for the day that he will see you face to face? That as much as we look forward to that or forget to look forward to that, Jesus never forgets. That he is always looking forward to that day, Scripture says, like a groom longing for his bride on his wedding day. That's your brother, Jesus, who when you pull up will say to you, welcome home. Who will say, we, your room is ready. We've been waiting for you. Dinner is all prepared. We have so much to talk about. We have so much to do together. That's the kind of peace that we have been promised, and that's the kind of peace that even now as we wait for our world to be restored characterizes your relationship with your heavenly Father. That's true about us through Christ. So let's put down all of the false peace that we make with this world pretending that things are okay. That instead we would pick up the peace that Jesus had made, has made with us for the, with our Heavenly Father as we long for the home that he's promised us. And what that frees us to do is to live as people of peace now. And here's the thing. Living as people of peace it will feel like being in a war. That if you've made a false peace with this world, it's much easier to be comfortable. But that if you've been reconciled to God and have said, okay, God, now I, because of the reconciliation that we have, because of the peace that we have with each other that you have made with me, now I am willing to be a person of peace out in the world, that will feel like war which is not the way we think about it in the South often. I have come to learn since being here, right? That often we think about being a Christian as being very nice, like sweet tea. Sometimes sweet tea is too sweet. It hurts your teeth. You've got to spit it out. It's not good, right? No, the Christianity, the peace that we are, call, are called to is so much more than being nice. 
the peace that we are called to, it is so much greater than hoping that our, our, that the, that our uncles don't talk about Donald Trump at the Thanksgiving dinner table, okay? The peace that we're called to is so much more than that. That we would be a people who are actively engaged in real, honest, and loving relationship with the people around us. Like to be a person of peace means to offer vulnerability to the people that you are in relationship with. To choose to ask questions that get below the surface of their lives. to choose to give them the gift of thanking them or encouraging them when they have done something for you or given something to you that you have really appreciated. And I don't know, that may be easy to imagine with the people in this room, but that's the kind of people of peace we are called to be everywhere we go, even into our families. To be a people of peace means that we stop pretending that the addictions that are in the lives of the people that we love are okay. It may mean that we put up boundaries in our lives because that's what it means to be people who are pursuing peace. Yes. And I will tell you, that will feel like war when you do it. The picking up peace, beating our swords into plowshares means acknowledging that in our marriages, in our relationships, the places that we have accepted, you know what, there's a lack of intimacy here, but I'm just going to tolerate it because I can't imagine anything different. But being a people of peace means acknowledging that's not okay. Saying, I'm not okay with that. And asking the Lord, Lord, how are you calling me to sow peace and love and care in this relationship regardless of what the other person's going to do? That's what it looks like to beat our swords into plowshares like we talked about last week to be a people who are pursuing and running after loving other people around us well. But as we do that, that changes us. It changes our relationships and it spills out into our community and changes the place that we live. When we are a people who are willing um, to engage in peace, even when it feels like war. And being a people of peace always looks like repentance. Always. Which is why it's appropriate that we would come to the communion table today. Because to be at peace with God is to recognize that we are now at war with the sin in our lives. That because God has made peace with us, that doesn't mean that all the sin goes away. It means that now we're able to see the sin for what it is. To be honest enough with ourselves and with God to admit there are places in our lives where we have lived away from you or pushed away from you or said, I would rather be king than you being king, God. And repentance is us coming back to the Lord and saying, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. And we've got to talk about, again, what, what repentance is because so many of us have been raised to think that repentance is us coming to God and repairing the relationship. That repentance is us asking God, God, what do I have to do to make this right? That's penance. That's not repentance. 
our repentance is coming back and remembering, reminding ourselves, coming back to gospel sanity, saying, Lord, you have already paid for all of these things. I lay it down at your feet, Lord, I'm sorry. And accepting the love that has been waiting for us there the whole time. That is repentance. Repentance is being willing to say, Lord, there are places that I have avoided the pain that comes from being a person of waiting and traded it for the comfort that comes from satisfying my desires immediately. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm so bad at waiting. Would you, would you mature me in that? Would you teach me to be a better waiter? In the communion table, it, it strengthens us for our waiting. It calls us to remembrance and to repentance. And it also reminds us that our king is coming back. That our king, Jesus, is going to return. And is a Jesus, he's a Jesus who loves us. Like we talked about, who will welcome us with open arms. And tasting physically this little wafer, drinking the juice is a physical reminder in our, in our tongues and in our, in our stomachs even that our, of how much our Jesus loves us. It's also a meal that does not fully satisfy our hunger. Like if you're, if you're here this morning and you didn't eat breakfast and you're hungry, this is not going to fill you up, okay? That's because it's a reminder, it's a pointer to the meal that's going to come. In some ways, it stirs up our hunger even more, right? Like when you haven't eaten breakfast, but all you have is like a bite or a protein bar. Like I'm still hungry. Now I'm even more hungry than before. Yes, that's part of what communion does. It stirs us up as we wait and remember as we long for the kingdom that's coming. Okay. So let's come to this table together. I'm going to invite you guys. You can fold down the kneelers that are in front of you. Go ahead and do that right now, actually. Just drop them. Be some thuds. That's okay. Yeah, you don't have to use the needles if you don't want to. They're just there in case you would like to use them, okay? Uh, And it's, honestly, guys, it's been a little while since I've been able to serve communion up here. I'm so thankful to be up here again. And I'll remind you how we're going to do it uh, this morning is we're going to play, our band's going to play one song, and it'll be a chance for you to reflect with God, to be quiet, to repent, and to remember. And then after that first song, I will come back up and we will take the bread together. Then there'll be another song, again, for us to to reflect, to repent, also to celebrate, to remember that Jesus is coming back. And then I will come back up after that second song and we'll take the juice together. So, on the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, you know what, actually, I'm gonna save that part. I'm gonna save that one for I take the bread, okay? I'm just gonna pray for us now. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that you have chosen to make peace between us and between yourself. Lord, that when there was nothing that we could do, when we had no desire to come toward you, that you came running toward us. Lord, we thank you and praise you that the peace that you have secured between us and yourself uh, is a peace that it's never-ending that cannot be broken. 
And Lord, we come to you this morning uh, in repentance. Lord, in repentance and remembering and declaring the hope that is to come. Would you meet us as we come to the table this morning? Amen.